Welcome to the St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship Podcast. Today, our teaching leader, Vicki Tatko, will be discussing the fall of mankind from Genesis 3. St. Louis Young Adults Bible Study Fellowship, or BSF, is currently meeting virtually on Zoom every Monday from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Central Time. For more information and to connect with our class, visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. That's bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Now let's prepare our hearts, open our Bibles to Genesis chapter 3, and join Vicki as she shares truths from God's Word. Hello, everyone. This is Vicki. I am part of the teaching staff at um, St. Louis Young Adult Bible Study Fellowship class. Glad to have you with us. Um, even though we can't be together physically, it's exciting that God is allowing us to continue studying His Word together. So, without further ado, we have an exciting passage to talk about tonight, Genesis 3. So, let us pray and jump in. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you pursue us, you call us, um, and you make provision for us that we can be reconciled to you. Father, would you uh, open our ears and soften our hearts that we might hear from you? I pray that our lives would be different, that we would not walk away from your word tonight unchanged, but that we would um, have lives that reflect Jesus Christ more fully and that we will be more purposeful in living out um, your mission, your gospel mission in the places where you have us. I pray that you'd be with me and guard and guide my words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've ever played the Would You Rather game, you know that Would You Rather sets you up between two options. Would you rather wear only polyester your whole life, or would you rather always be within three miles of a river? You know, it's just two kind of restrictive ideas that are set in between, but you have to choose one. So, I was thinking about Genesis 3 and a would-you-rather that might help us get into the core issues. So would you rather always cook um, every meal for the rest of your life from scratch for yourself, or would you rather eat only things that other people have chosen and prepared or ordered for you? And it probably, so you've got Either you're doing it, cooking it from scratch, or other people choosing it for you. And it probably depends, right? If you could say, like, well, it matters who that person is. Is this someone who knows you? Do they love you? Can you trust them? Um, If the person loves you and they're the person who knows you the very best in the whole world, would you still let them? (laughs) Would you choose that where they would get to... Uh, choose the food for you. I love food and I really like control. So even Brett, my husband, who probably knows me best and loves me more than any other human person in the whole world, um, I'm hesitant to let him be in charge of this thing that I love, which is food. And so um, fundamentally, there's a tension in us Uh, I think as humans, that we fear 
No one else is going to care for us in the way that we need to be cared for. We need to look out for ourselves, or at least like, you know, things might be good, but we have to be wary. Um, Fundamentally, this, I think, is the core of our nature. We like control because we have a hard time trusting that anyone would know us that well and love us that well, that they would choose what is right and good for us. Um, This is similar, probably, to where um, the original audience for Genesis was. They were, God had rescued them from slavery in Egypt. They were traveling in the desert where he was leading them. He took care of them, but he did it his way. They didn't get to set the table however they wanted. They had manna. He provided that for them in the desert. Um, They had to trust him for water. They couldn't just go find their own well or do their own thing. And they didn't just get to go wherever they wanted. They had to go where he led. They had to be his people. They had to live his way. Um, He made a covenant with them, which they responded to and agreed to, but right away struggled and pushed away golden calf, um, refusing to go into the promised land, Numbers 14. Um, God is holding out good for them. He's their creator king who knows them and loves them the very best of anyone. And yet the Israelites struggled to trust God that he and relinquish control, um, that he would love them. And so even though we are in a very different era of redemptive history and of history generally, and also redemptive history, the signs and the symbols of the old Mosaic of the old Mosaic covenant have been fully revealed and fulfilled in Jesus Christ, we are still caught in this battle. We have a hard time trusting God. God is redeeming. He's rescuing. He's drawing people. He's saving people. Bring them out of darkness into, into light and life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, even as those of us who have trusted in Jesus as our Savior, we can struggle. We struggle to trust God We struggle to want to live life his way. We struggle to want to give up control. And so Genesis 3 is a really important passage because it lets, it gives us like a window of our heart. Why are we like this? Eve is, um, Adam and Eve are our ancestors and we can see ourselves in them and learn from them. And so, and we can learn about God. So that's why I think we can learn tonight that we could and should trust God. We should trust God because he loves us and he knows what is best for us. And so this is the key conflict. It's a heart battle um, of the whole Bible and um, sets up Genesis. Uh, also, you know, also what we're going to be setting this year. So where are we? Let's get into it. Remember, let's just remember the setting. So Genesis 1, we saw God, magnificent, powerful, cosmic, grandeur speaking, and the whole world came into being, including humanity. Those he is made in his image. We were the the pinnacle of his creation on the sixth day. He rested. His creation was complete. Um, and then in the rest of Genesis 2, we see in a much more intimate scene, the narrator helps us see that God put Adam, the first man, in the garden that he made for him, the royal garden. Um, this is a king, and he gave 
Adam everything he needed for blessing and flourishing. He had good work. He was working in the garden. He had food, all the food that he needed. He had companionship. And he also had um, what God had given, a boundary, a restriction, one restriction. So we read in uh, chapter 2, 16 and 17, But the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. That's a lot. Breath and abundance of generosity. But of the knowledge, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God had given Adam everything he needed, um, including... Um, we go on to read, it wasn't good for him to be alone. He had companionship with the woman. And we, like, the ends in the the glorious union that they had. So, with that, we come into chapter 3. And we should feel the whiplash, because um, right away, we're introduced to someone that we didn't even know had been present. Um, chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did not God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree, fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So we're here in this first, the first of three divisions in chapter three. And already we're thrust into this scene um, and it feels very unsettling. Who is this serpent? He's mysterious and we don't know. Um, The narrator doesn't tell us right away, but he's going to give us some clues through the narration. First of all, he emphasizes, the text emphasizes he's speaking to the women privately. Their exchange, every single one was directed to the serpent spoke to the woman. The woman spoke to the serpent. The serpent spoke to the woman. This is an exclusive conversation, and the woman is alone. Now, what had God just said about humanity being alone? It was not good. Where's Adam? We aren't told, but we know that our like this is not good for for someone a human to be alone. And we see the serpent singling out of Eve. It seems to be working against God's plan. His the serpent's question in the end of verse one seems clueless or possibly at first, but then he shows that he knows God's word better. Than the woman did. He knew it enough he could quote it exactly. She had just paraphrased and kind of in a perhaps hopefully confusing way that wasn't deliberate, she had tried to add on to God's word, which is something Moses would have told the Israelites. They would have, the original audience would have known, you do not add or subtract, take away from God's word. But even though um, the serpent uh why would or so he he shows that he knows God's word better than the woman because he's able to quote God exactly and contradict him um so the 
Third thing I think we can see is that the serpent poisons by casting doubt on God's character. He's essentially saying to the woman, God's keeping you back. There's something that you can have and you should have it. And God's worried. He doesn't want you to be like him. You could be like him, but he doesn't care for you. This is not his best. God is not good. And so in God's own garden, the serpent is not only contradicting God to say God is a liar, but he is casting doubt on all of God's character. And we've just seen in chapters one and two, this is very different from a very different view of what the narrator has presented before. We are definitely invited, I think, to distrust this serpent. God is good. God has made things. What he makes is very good. And the serpent is contradicting. So what or who is the serpent? The serpent is an evil, malevolent power. This is not just a snake. Um, This is somehow in a mysterious way. This is God's enemy, Satan, the ancient father of evil and lies, the devil, an angel who rebelled against God and was cast out of heaven and is has been fighting God in a cosmic battle. And so we see that this ancient enemy of God, um, who is weaker than God and lesser than God and limited, he is taking the battle to this beautiful creation. So we see what happens. Um, His words are poison. And verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So the pace in the narrative is really interesting. Did you see how the narrator drew out the conversation? And then in a, in a shorter way, we saw the woman evaluate. She saw, she made an evaluation, and it was on discontent. What the serpent had suggested to her, she believed. And she was no longer someone who was characterized by listening to God, hearing God, obeying God, being loyal to God her creator king, she has now shifted her allegiance, at least in part, to believe and trust Satan, um, the serpent, the, the father of lies. And so um, this, she saw the, these three things, and she was no longer content. She wanted all the choice, not just lemons and mangoes and all the other tree fruit in the garden, whatever those would have been, seems like there was emphasize a lot of them she the fact that there was just one out of her reach was too much and the fact that she could know something that would be like god that god had held back from her she wanted that and then with that decision she saw she took she ate and then she gave and ate and so there's this very pr- quick progression um, and a lot of mystery in that like how did that go but we can see the crumbling um, and there, as soon as, verse 7, they they did that, their eyes were open. So part of what the serpent said happened. And yet, 
it was not that they had this wonderful knowledge and they were like God. They were now in shame. Um, looking at the end of chapter 2, they were open to see their nakedness and they needed to hide from each other. Um, so a principle I think we can learn from this section is that God cares for His people. God cares for His people. That is the truth about God. And yet, the problem is that we have in our heart, and and Grandma Eve's heart, she didn't believe it. It was so easy to fan up her discontentment. It took 24 Hebrew words, and we don't think, we think God won't care. We think He doesn't see. We have to fend for ourselves. If you don't um, act for yourself, who will? And so, um, we the way our cultural standards are, um, and the way our hearts are, we have to defend our own honor. We have to make sure that the bank doesn't make an error in our favor. We have to make sure that we stand up for our rights. Um, and to live God's way, to trust God, to submit um, and not stand up for ourselves, uh, that is really scary. But... Um, God's grace is sufficient for us, even in this hard world where there's complex circumstances. Do you believe that? God cares for his people, and he cares in a way I can, you know, that doesn't mean that there isn't suffering in this world and there isn't hard things that happen. But God's word says that his grace is sufficient. Do you believe that? Where has God cared for you? How has he shown you that he sees you and he loves you? Um, it doesn't mean that you haven't had trouble, but he cares so much that every single sin of yours is nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ, if you are a believer, and it is forever separated from you. That is how much God cares for you. Where are you tempted to think God won't see you through? We should trust God because he loves us and knows what is best for us. Okay, in the second section, I realized I didn't give <laughs> give the outline. So that was chapter, or that was verses one to seven, which was um, deception. The serpent deceives, and Adam and Eve rebel. And then the second section, we see God's pursuit. God pursues Adam and Eve in mercy and judgment, and that's from verses eight to twenty-one. And then we see at the very end, God protects. It's severe protection, but he protects, verses 22 to 24. So this middle section is really the centerpiece of Genesis 3 because we get to see God. God's character has been besmirched. He's called into question, and now we get to see exactly who God is. Um, it is a, in, in multiple ways, it's a trial scene. So we get to God's character has been tested or um, he's been maligned, and so we get to see him. But we'll see also, too, that the Lord God um, is going to have Adam and Eve give an account. And so we have the setting in the next scene in verse 8 of this scene. Um, and they, the man and the woman, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the cool of the garden, walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves. From the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? 
And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He, meaning God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. So we'll stop there in there in the questioning we see there's two parts of this um the lord god is pursuing adam and the woman with questions now as this king this creator king that we've seen in genesis 1 and 2 do you think it is possible that he doesn't know where adam is that he doesn't know what has happened um i would suggest you probably not i mean he he does know it's not possible that he wouldn't know Um, He is a king who knows everything that happens in his realm. So why would he ask these questions? Because he pursues rebellious people. Um, He wants to engage our hearts. Sin and rebellion make us want to run from God. We are ashamed and we want to hide from God. And so um, we can see that. Uh, The the narrator told us in verse 8 that they hid. We can also see that even in their language. You can see Adam sidestep, and he steps behind Eve to say, like, she's she's the one, and even implicates God, that woman that you gave me, and blames, it's subtle, but he does, he's blaming God, and then Eve, she sidesteps back and said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Um, There's hiding, and yet the Lord shows he wants to engage our hearts. Um, that both she, both the woman and the man are culpable. They've trespassed the king's command. And so he has said, if you eat from this tree, on that day you will surely die. This is a king who keeps his word. We've just even the glimpse that we have in Genesis 1 and 2, we've seen that. And the Israelites in the desert they would have seen that very much so god keeps his word and yet and so there are going to be consequences and guess what sin has consequences you and i and everyone in this world including our ancestors adam and eve we have not been able to evade that we sin will find us out sin always has consequences it takes us farther than we want to go and it never keeps its promises Temporary pleasure will never outweigh the cost of sin. And so then we see, um, even though uh, we see both, right? So we see the merciful pursuit of God, but we also now see judgment. And so we realize um, by this point, if we hadn't before, that this is now, this was a court that was in session. And the man and the woman had to give account. Um, and so now the Lord pronounces judgment. He is not only the king, he is judge. And so um, verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you should go, and on dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman 
and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, mean that he is the her offspring, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And Adam, he said, because you have listened to this voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and for dust, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So, I think three things that we can see from this. Um, Number one, um, the purposes that God had for humanity are not being thwarted. Um, Back in Genesis 1, he talks about, you will go forth and multiply. And that is exactly what's going to happen. Um, it's going to be harder. And there's going to be conflict now um, within the marriage relationship um, as they vie for power. That's verse 16. And then 17, we see the cause, um, or I mean, we, and we also see that um, Adam was to work the ground, and that's still going to happen. Um, he's still going to rule the earth, but it will be complicated, and it will be painful, and the earth will fight it in a way, like thorns and thistles. At least that's how I read it. And there is death at the end, so you will return. So what God's heads pronounced will come true. It is merciful. He doesn't strike them down physically dead, and yet spiritually, the hiding, they had spiritually already died. So they are separated. There's a, there's a fracture of the soul of a spiritual and a physical death. And then, so that's the first thing. God's purposes are not going to be thwarted. Um, the second thing is that um, <clears throat> there is a, a cosmic battle that is happening and between the Lord God and the serpent. Um, and he does... It is a little bit confusing there in verse 14 because he's back talking to the serpent like he is an he's a created animal um but there's there's a definitely the serpent didn't get to defend himself um and he is destined to like he's the personality who is cursed the earth is cursed for from Adam but the personality who is cursed is the serpent and who is going to win this cosmic battle? The cosmic battle is going to be won by, verse 15, the woman's offspring. So this is a promise. This is the first glimmer of God's gospel promise. Human disobedience is not God's best. It is not what he designed. And yet, even though we disobeyed God, and there are horrible consequences that have pain and death and untold harm have happened as we've entered since sin has entered the world. Um, God does not give up. And he plans to defeat the serpent. He shall bruise your head or crush your head. 
um, and you, the serpent, shall bruise your heel. And so that points ahead toward um, when what the New Testament shows us. So this is the first glimmer of promise, and he's God will continue to reveal, even in Genesis, the promise of this promised offspring, this promised son, the son of promise. Um, and we're going to see, as God does not give up, that worked out even in um, even before we get to the New Testament, there will be seeds, seed of the woman, a son of promise, those who are faithful and who will follow God and and submit to His will, and then there's seeds of the serpent, the offspring who will resist God and rebel, and these will fight. And so we're going to see that throughout Genesis and and in the Bible, and we get to the culmination of that in the New Testament where Jesus, the Son, the promised Son of God, who is um, the heir of this promise in entirety, that we see Him succeeding every single place that Eve and Adam have failed. And so Jesus was tempted, not in a garden, but in a desert. And Satan offered Him food and glory and power. And Jesus said, no, I will not listen to your half-truths and lives, Satan, he would not yield because he was a hearer of God's of God's voice. He is a hearer of God's voice. And so he responded. He knew God's word and promises and responded back and refuted Satan. And then we see Jesus later praying alone in a garden. And he labored in prayer and asked that the Father would take the cup away from him, but not my will, he prayed, but yours be done. And so when Jesus, after sweating what looked like drops of blood or what were drops of blood in that laboring, he was the battle was over. What happened in Genesis 3, 6, where the woman fell and whatever happened with the man, we, we're not even sure what battle did he have, Jesus overcame. And so he went to the cross. That was God's plan. And um, he was betrayed and tried and died on the cross. He was pierced for our transgressions. Um, Satan thought he had won when Jesus died and was buried, but God the Father did what he was promised and raised Jesus back to life. We can read about that glorious victory in Romans 5. And even though now we still see, we, we know Jesus is risen. He's won. The Satan is a defeated foe. And yet we still see coronavirus. We still see wars. We still see horrible things, people treating each other horribly in the, this political season. And, and yet, God is still on his throne. He is still king, and he will. He is saying um, this promise that Jesus' victory, the son of promise, his victory will be complete. And so we can look ahead and it, for with eyes of faith to see when Jesus will return and set all things right then we will return to the garden where there's no barrier between us and God that um, and each other. So he, the sin and death will be removed. And so that was the second thing. And um, I had a third thing, but I don't remember what that was. But so we'll just say we'll, 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 uh, we'll finish. Um, we'll see. We've got um, in 21, 20 and 20, we see action after this conversation. The man called 
wife's name Eve because she was the mother of living. He believed the promise that God had given. Um, and then the Lord covered Adam um, with skins and clothed them. Um, and this points ahead. Not only did it provide some protection, probably, from the thorns and the thistles, but also it points ahead toward the the sacrifice of an innocent person to cover, an innocent animal, the lamb sacrifice, to cover the sin of humanity. And so um, the principle I think that we can learn from this uh this division is that God still loves his rebellious people. God still loves his rebellious people. Sin has consequences, um, but God welcomes back sinners and rebels to turn back to him, not to let them stay rebellious, and not that turning back to him means that there's no consequences. Um, Sin has consequences, and even sin after we've repented still sometimes has Um, consequences, Um, but God does not remove his love. He did not remove it from Adam and Eve. He doesn't remove it from you and me when we um, rebel against him. He welcomes sinners back to him, not to let them stay in rebellion. No, that's never a part of that plan, but to be reconciled to him and to live with him as king and Lord and to be, oh yes, that third thing that I remembered where the Lord set And he said very clearly to Adam in verse, was it 17? um, You've listened to the voice of your wife and not me. I've what I commanded. And so God is restoring us. He loves rebellious people. He pursues them, but he's restoring us to be by his spirit in Christ, people who love and hear his voice, keep his commands um, by his power. Um, we should trust God because he loves us and knows what's best for us. Um, okay, last little bit. Um, we see the Lord God res- responding, and he expels Adam out of the garden. Um, and yet, in this brief and mysterious scene, um, there's the dialogue that he has, it seems like, with himself among the Trinity in verse 22. Um, he is protection. There's protection here. Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil now, lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And the conversation, the dialogue breaks off. Um, And the ESV in particular reflects the Hebrew um, in that it is that if God is uttering this thing and it becomes too painful for him to bear. And so he says, no, man in the state of shame and rebellion cannot remain there forever, and that's probably that's what would happen if he ate from the tree of life. And so we see God banishing um, in a protective, hard, it's, it's severe, but it's a protective way from the garden, and he set up angelic guardians to prevent humanity from coming back in. Um, this... Hearing the the original audience, the the Exodus people, the Israelites, they would have already they would have felt probably kind of in limbo, and yet there they are in the the God already had the tabernacle, His presence, and it's symbolically, and He has cherubim 
on the round uh, that he prescribed needed to be on the curtains. And it's covered with skins. And so there's all these echoes with the furniture echoing Eden that um, this was an opportunity to know that God had not abandoned them. Um, that And it was an invitation to trust God for their needs, for to trust them one more day to eat that manna, to trust them one more day to get a drink of water. Um, in the dry desert, and to know that he had not abandoned them. Okay, a principle, our last principle I think we can learn is that God protects us enough to love us in ways that may feel hard. God loves us God loves us enough to protect us in ways that may feel hard. And so maybe you had that in your life, a parent who disciplined you, and it was hard. Um, when I was 17, my dad had me return my driver's license to the state of Illinois so that I was no longer a licensed driver. It was, I felt such shame and it was so hard and humiliating. And yet it was for my good. I realized that just this afternoon and to release some of my frustration, my dad, I had had three accidents, two of which were life-threatening. I shouldn't have ever lived. And yet my dad loved me and he knew even as a human imperfect dad, that letting me have my license as a terrible driver would be horrible. And I needed protection and other people needed protection for me too. And so um, are there hard circumstances in your life and where you feel like, why did God, maybe you're angry at God. God, why have you let that happen? Um, what might it look like to consider those hard circumstances as evidence of God's love for you rather than his displeasure? Um, is there disobedience that he's encouraging you to, call, to turn from? Because our problem is a heart problem. And thanks be to God, in Christ, God gives us new loves and new hearts. And the promises that he began, this is a God who keeps his word, and he does not lie. And so the promises he began right here in Genesis 3, we can still hold on to in 2020 when we look around and see chaos and and um, sickness and death and so many things that are scary, um, systemic racism, all these things that are so burdensome. We can cry out to the Lord and say, how long? How long, Lord, until Jesus comes back? Please come back and help us to trust you even as we wait. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you pursue us and love us and you help us. Um, may we, uh, maybe you empower us to be your faithful servants and to trust you even this week in new ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the St. Louis Young Adults BSF podcast. Join us on Zoom next Monday at 7 p.m. Central Time as we discuss Genesis chapter 4. To connect with our class, like us on Facebook at STLYABSF or visit bsfinternational.org slash class slash 793. Bible Study Fellowship is an international, interdenominational, nonprofit organization that is dedicated to studying God's Word one verse at a time and strengthening the local church. For more information, visit bsfinternational.org. That's bsfinternational.org.